Uh, hi, hi. My name's Mark Grist. I, I used to be an English teacher. I'm approaching middle age, and I really want to learn how to rap. On the last season of Mark Can't Rap, I'm going to seek out teachers. I'm going to interview them. At the end of the series, I'll take everything that I've learned and I'll release an EP. You need to ask yourself if you're actually doing this because you you want to try and see how good you're going to actually genuinely be. It's very different to if you're doing this as a fun experiment. At 9.15pm, I'm supposed to go on stage and wrap this new piece to a room full of people. And I'm so scared I can barely move. The writing is, is way up, but I can see where you've tweaked. I know the improvements you've made. I can see what you've struggled with and where you've just filled the gaps kind of thing. And, OK, well, I couldn't do this before, but I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> I put the milk in first, sure that each cup of weak stuff, I'm nearer to freedom. Still, you keep that. That's great fucking. We're gonna get it, we're gonna get it. So, it's been a year now since I released my first ever mixtape. Thanks to this podcast, I've just felt more flexible as a writer. I've written poems and, and a couple of raps using music in a way that I never could before. I turned the series into a live show too very imaginatively titled Mark Can't Rap The Live Show I took it to some music festivals and up to the Edinburgh Fringe last summer I was actually in the process of arranging tour dates for the autumn but then Covid-19 hit I'm recording this episode on 23rd of April 2020 and right now everything just seems Pardon my French, but totally fucked. Hello, Mark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, it's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, how you doing? Uh, yeah, pretty shit. Ross has been shielding throughout. We had to go out to the uh, car park of the football ground to uh, try and buy like a big bag of pasta off like the back of a lorry. You got pasta? Yeah, man. I could have had like eggs as well but like they only sold them in like crates of like 24 i'm pretty sure everything that i bought was stolen it was extremely shady as soon as lockdown was announced all of my gigs and teaching work was cancelled i have no idea how i'm gonna make any money this year every other artist i know is in the same boat how's work Uh, does work a thing anymore no it's not live work obviously is cancelled lots of workshops I was going to do, and they're gone. So that's pretty scary. I saw on Facebook that you've been doing some creative writing classes online. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not Yeah, I'm not really getting any, any money for them. I've been trying to find ways to distract myself so I don't have to think about paying bills and all that cancelled work. One way I've been occupying myself is by live streaming a series of free creative writing workshops for kids every Wednesday morning from my office. I mean, I say free. The parents are welcome to chuck me a bit of money if they wanted to just say thanks. That couldn't hurt, right? All right, so there's been some good stuff. I'm, I'm learning a lot about how to broadcast, um, which is which is something. But man, I'm getting a lot of heckling. It's it's tough. <laughs> You've been heckled by, by, by your yeah. Children. This week's been like particularly like it's it's been bad sometimes. I mean, they're kind of 
These are primary school children. They're right? lovely. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of seven to ten year olds, really. <laughs> I would like. I would like to see that. <laughs> all, right, all right. Send me a video of you being roasted by children. You've got to get about about forty five minutes in. All right. Let me just skip forward. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 That, that's fine. That's yeah. It all kicks off. What? Are you dressed as Batman? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we we were looking at superhero uh, storytelling, so um, I, I I had a old Batman outfit left over from a, a stag do a few years ago. It smelled pretty bad, but they can't smell that. I thought it would hype them up. Um, Mark for but... the record, I feel hyped to see you as Batman. On the chat thread, one kid said, My uncle said that you could rap. Can you do it at the end? I think they must have heard the mixtape I released for season one of this podcast. Can you rap now, please? And it was then rap, 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 rap. that rap, rap. a lot of them rap, rap. started asking me please rap. to rap. Please rap. rap. And then it got worse because the parents started kicking in. Do not rap. Please do not rap. I think they were trying to help. No, don't rap. I mean, I say they were trying to help. They may have just heard about the quality of my rapping. Do not rap by the end we had our own marvel civil war going on half the thread were demanding i rap please rap the other half were insisting that i didn't no don't rap and i just tried to get to the end of the session don't rap please rap don't rap do not rap not going to rap do not rap please rap oh gosh i can rap for you guys in a bit hang on hang on we nearly finished in the session did you do it what did you rap about uh i did i didn't like it wasn't really what we were supposed to be looking at. We we're looking at storytelling, like how to tell superhero stories. I, yeah, okay. I can see you're backing out, Mark. I, tr- uh, I tried to deflect it a bit. Gotta be honest, that's not that's not very Batman of you, is it? No. Wow. For a primary school workshop, uh, yeah, that was surprisingly unpleasant. Just out of curiosity. Um, like you, you, you take donations from parents for that, right? Like, how much money did you get in donations for that for that workshop? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Oh man. In uh... in fact, I have to. <laughs> in fact, I I have, I, have to, I pay a subscription to be able to broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> I should have rapped, I guess, but. With everyone demanding it like that, my mind went blank. I kind of froze. Jeez, is this who I am now? Someone who's just scared all the time. I can see why people are right now. Lockdown is terrifying. The world is falling apart. What if I did rap? What if I freestyled and let my unconscious loose? What if I came out with all of that stuff? In front of kids. Truth is, I haven't written anything since the lockdown began. I just can't work out what I want to say. 
I feel sometimes that as a, a writer, I'm supposed to channel what people are thinking or feeling in the country. But that's kind of my job as an artist. And right now, I don't feel anything except confusion and fear. When's your next one? So next Wednesday at 9.30, yeah. most of them, I imagine, are going to be back. And they're still going to want me to rap. Yeah. So, um, what are you going to do? Rap? I guess. Yeah. I'm a bit worried about it, though. I, I guess I'll, I'll just do what they say. Then they'll maybe they'll leave me alone. Do you think being bullied into uh, rapping, do you think that's what Batman would do? Last year, I used this podcast to interview UK MCs and to work on my own abilities as a rapper. I learned how to develop flow, how to sound more confident. I learned how to let the lines breathe, but now I feel like I'm right back where I started. COVID and the, the chaos taking place have really shaken my confidence. I've decided it's time to restart the podcast. I'm going to have to ask for help again, establish some structure, rebuild that confidence, and I know just who I need to talk to. Yeah, I can, I can hear you fine. Michael Payne is a rapper who knows a thing or two about fear. He dedicated an entire double album, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1 and 2, to unpacking his worst fears and nightmares. He's worked with Ed Sheeran, Rizzle Kicks, Example, Paloma Faith. If anyone can help me get over my fear of getting back in front of a mic, it's him. I'll give it to you raw like sashimi. I've had my back to the wall like a TV. OGs told me don't waste your life out on these streets. Using your gift to stay alive is out to BG. I never wanted to be armed and dangerous. I was just trying to make my bars mad famous. So now I envy rap stars that get to spray your verse. But have to put balaclavas on their faces first. I only wanted to be heard, never seen. No face, no case when I murder the scene. Just to prove no bridges got burned in the spree. I'd use those bitches to return to the scene. And if I took it, then I earned it somehow. And that's to anybody asking what it cost me. I never went to anybody with my palms out. And if they said I did, they're barking up the wrong tree. I've liked Michael's work for a while now. He's always got these interesting concepts and creative angles underpinning his tracks. He never seems to run out of steam. So we agree to set up a Zoom chat. When do you think you started then? Say 15 years ago, I'd say. Like rather than writing poetry, writing rap, you know what I mean? As distinct from just poetry or, you know, a garage lyric or a, a lyric for like drum and bass. But, you, but did you start with poetry then? Yeah, absolutely. Like even from primary school, you know, that was kind of what I took to when it came to, I loved, I loved English mm. in school. All aspects of being taught English, love them. But especially writing creatively, whether prose or poetry. And I always excelled. I always got really good grades when we did it academically. So I knew I could do it. I knew I had a gift for it, if you like, mm. from quite early on. But I didn't pursue it socially at all for ages until I, until I was like in my like late teens or something. Do you know what I mean? Started jumping on... Um, pirate radio stations and doing sets over garage like when i first started performing lyrics 
It was over garage. It wasn't even really over rap like that. And it was, was it freestyled or was it pre-written? Written, like one aspect of, of rapping that I've always wanted to be better at is freestyling. But I believe in my written so much, I never really practiced. I thought you write so well, leave freestyling to freestylers, isn't it? Because for me, I always thought that people had their fortes. Yeah. And so did you feel like the poetry was really useful then? Absolutely. And just like being able to think of a concept and being able to stick to a concept, you know, like a lot of the stuff I was writing was very like concept driven. So I had to have the ability to stick to that concept to not go off on a tangent, you know? And if you did go off on a tangent, realize that you were, you know what I mean? Like be very yeah. conscious. And I think that learning to write creatively with no rhyming in mind actually worked to my advantage because I, because I learned to be a writer before I learned to be a rapper, if that makes sense. What Michael's saying here really reminds me of my very first episode of Mark Can't Rap and what Ali, my first teacher, talked to me about in the back of a taxi. How can there be so much in a track that it can overwhelm you? And stripping those away, he said, staying focused on the horse. That's how you get a track done. I guess the horse here is the message, the idea. And that's what Michael did. He focused on that and he worried about the rhyming later. In some ways, Michael reminds me of Lupe Fiasco, the multi-award winning American MC. They both have a similar richness and depth to their storytelling. I've been checking out Lupe Fiasco's stuff. He's really good at that as well. Ridiculous, isn't he? When it comes to concept-driven rap, he's my number one in inspiration. I really, really, really have been amazed going through each piece, the, the way, like the world building that takes place. And he gets so much of his own character across. So he was um, like a major inspiration for you. Major. I, I, I wanted to be him. You know, the, he, he was the first rapper that I actually wanted to really, really wanted to be like. That must have been good to have a blueprint, right? You're absolutely right. Um, having such a clear, concise idea of, of, of something that you aspire to be, that thing could, could only really be called a blueprint, couldn't it? And, and it wasn't just about his, his musical ability, it was his whole image. He made certain things cool, basically, you know, certain, mm. certain everyday things. Michael found a blueprint that worked for him. And I should say, we're not talking about copying lyrics, just style. Michael found a pre-existing style of rap that spoke to him as an artist. And so he made work that felt in keeping with that style. And he was good at it. Really good. In fact, Michael wrote so effectively in that style that he got signed. 
his very own record deal with a major label. He'd made it. I never ever believed up until that point that I could get signed to a label. I was like, wow, like actual major labels think that I'm talented enough to be like taking me out to dinner and shit like that. Surely this is the happy ending, right? Fear of failure conquered once and for all. Absolutely not. Um, it stifles you because all of a sudden you're like, your shit's on a pedestal, isn't it? Yeah. What you're thinking is, okay, they like this thing that they've heard already. And one of the problems with success is, is the fear it brings that you're not going to be able to replicate it or maintain it. Do you know what I mean? It turns out, once you've got your blueprint and it works and others demand you keep following that blueprint, well, you can find yourself stuck building a house that you're not even sure you want to live in. That is the, the biggest problem with, with success in anything. It's like, shit, now that there is this potential, how am I going to realise the potential, A? And if I do, say, for instance, this label does sign me, shit, am I going to, like, am I, they're obviously expecting things from me and now I'm expecting them of myself for some reason when I never was. But now that there's this, like, potential money on the table, now I'm going, rah, like, shit, is, is this tune going to do well on, on the radio or, it, or is it going to chart and stuff like that? But you were never thinking about that stuff before. Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 2 is the first big project Michael's worked on since his label dropped him, which I know he found a very difficult experience. But these two albums, I don't know, listening to them, it feels like he's making the best music of his life. This gets me thinking about the fear that I'm feeling. It's not the same at all. These kids, they're not a label. There's no money involved, but they do expect something and I don't feel like I can build it for them right now. I don't want to. Is that a bad thing? I just feel paralyzed. I asked Michael if there's any advice he can give me. I think there's plenty of kind of generic advice you can give to people. Like, like I said before, what, what works for you won't work for me and vice versa. You know, everyone's got their different path, but at the same time, I think just register how much you enjoy it, you know? Register how much you enjoy it, like, because as soon as you're not having fun, as soon as it's not fun being a rapper, then I'm out. If you, if, if you had a gun to your head, yeah? Yeah. Who, who is your favorite MC of all time? Oh, geez. That's a big question. Um, I suppose, I worry, did you know what? I worry that I'm gonna give a bad answer here. I don't know why, like I worry. It's all subjective, seriously. The first names that came to mind when you said that, uh, Zach De La Roca, uh, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. I just think he sounded really authentic. He was just really effective. I really like gigs a lot. I've been listening to a lot of gigs. Um, Tyler, the creator as well, I suppose, is someone else I'd probably put. See, do, you know, do you know all these people have in common? They're, they're really, really big on their pronunciation. Like you, like me, are a stickler mm. for like things being clear, aren't you? Yeah, I know that's like, true. I think that's one of the things I really like about your work. 
mate, I'm a stickler for that shit. And that's why I, and that's why I, I try to, to beat to embody it as well. Because I want to make the music that I want to hear, even if no one else wants to fucking hear it. This is the mm. thing. So, and that's why I'm asking you who your favourites are, because they are what you kind of wish you sounded like when you rap, right? That, that's, that's the stuff that really, that, you re- that really resonates with you, yeah? It's because there's something in you that kind of vibrates in the same way. Yeah, although I feel way less cool. That's because you know what they look like. This is the thing. Think about it. If you okay. didn't know what any of these people looked like, it would be so different. Thinking about the aesthetics, in it? Like, you're thinking, okay, cool. One of these guys has got, like, sort of dreadlocks. And this is, like, the way people are meant to look when they do this. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think there could definitely be some of that in there. They all do fundamentally sound like they're enjoying what they're doing as well. Like, I think that is definitely something to think about. Michael's words immediately sent me back in time. Back to simpler days as a kid, back when I first fell in love with music. When I wasn't scared about hardly anything, certainly not about COVID. We move on to discussing pieces that Michael is proud of. Night Elm on Main Street Part 1, you've got Cut From A Different Cloth, which is about, you know, the different fashion trends that I, I kind of enjoyed getting involved in when I was growing up. You know, you've got tunes that are like really deep and personal lines about like my dad and stuff on uh, what have we become. And, yeah. And, and then I, I want to have a conversation that just the, mm. just the online conversations with girls, with different people, the, the, the girl that um, is kind of copying your homework at the beginning and, and yeah. all those relationships and, and, and everything. I found that really moving. Glad you did. I thought I was in love before my first time online. I scribbled a name on all the covers of my books. We never sat apart because I was a nerd. She liked to copy my work. I didn't say she was my partner because of my looks. She didn't even fancy me, but all that really mattered was I had someone. She used a fortune-telling chatterbox to predict the future. Who'd be kissed and who'd be dumped? She used to think it new stuff. I knew that it was truly dumb, but stupid is as stupid does. I did my fair share of clueless stuff. Kids and what they're prepared to do for love. She played games. I played them for a prize. Knew I couldn't win a heart, but maybe I could exchange it for my mind. It would just take a little time. But for months I was getting no joy Life was tough for a ten-year-old boy When she phoned my house she didn't say stuff Like you hang up first She said I'm doing homework, I'm stuck and you have Clearly in Michael's own work He's been reaching into his past Re-examining his own blueprint as a human being And he sounds like he's writing about these things for himself First and foremost The authenticity of these stories really shines through it's just about being ready to do something because otherwise it just, it smells, it's, it's inauthentic, in it? If you're not doing it, you know, do you know, do you know what I mean? Like when, people, yeah. you, when you can, you can smell when someone just makes a deep track for the sake of it, because like, that's what the label told them to do. And you, okay. you don't really give a shit when you hear it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's something, authenticity is something that I really, um, have struggled with throughout this. Like I'm trying really hard to be authentic and um, I'm kind of grappling with uh, my, like, to be honest, like with my whiteness and my middle-classness whilst I'm kind of like um, working on material and ideas. Um, 
and often feeling like I don't know, like I I I, I struggle with I struggle with that, and I think you I think I I sound uncomfortable on the beats in relation to those things. Um, but Tony Tony said that's just something you got to work through. Absolutely, man. Like every every kind of demographic has confidence issues, man. You know what I mean? Like I get I get what you're saying totally. Um, the the whiteness and middle classness is gonna be it's gonna be a product of the origins of hip hop, innit? You know, it's because of the origins of hip hop and the events in history and the treatment of certain races and classes that led to this genre being created, you understand? But I think, again, without sounding like cliche or like, I think it's, if you, as long as you know within your heart that you respect the craft and the culture and you are definitely a guy that I think, I believe does respect the craft and the culture. Do you know what I mean? So Pete, like I said, people can smell the inauthenticity. Mm. But it doesn't, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that a white middle-class guy can't find his lane and revel in the culture. Sometimes it sounds cliche, but you just got, you've got to be loose when like music is so natural that you can't like that hitting a beat right rapping is for me it's just understanding rhythm do you know what i mean it's just understanding rhythm but not even just understanding it it's like being being the you're literally part of the fucking rhythm yeah do you know what i mean as a rapper there is no one that can tell me that rapping with the right flow isn't like a percussive instrument it, it, that, that it doesn't add to the music. A good rap, it adds something to the music, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Think about even going back to like, you know, Sugar Hill Gang. I said the hip, the heart, the hip, the hip. Even without the music, that shit's entertaining. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I think that Sugar Hill Gang, they're an example of just people that were so comfortable with the music, man. Like rap is just about being comfy with the with the rhythm. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously, yes, lyrics are a massive part, but the stuff that makes it entertaining, it ain't the lyrics, man. It's the flow. It's the way that you get people rhythmically to understand what the fuck you're saying. Because you could just say it if you wanted to. It's like you said, you could just be a poet, like, and you could say myriad wise things. But if you can say it in an entertaining way, ah, oh, it's like the best thing to hear, you know? And let go of the self-consciousness when you're doing it as well. That's one thing I find hinders people's creativity a lot of the time. Self-consciousness, man. Don't be around people that you wouldn't want to look stupid in front of. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So sometimes maybe it's about being by yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or with a producer who, who like, most, most producers understand. People get up to the wildest, people have the wildest rituals in, in studio. And I say wildest, like, because I genuinely mean it. Like, it's so natural music, and it? It's such a, an animalistic thing. 
I went away from chatting with Michael, feeling like I could see all these parallels. He was doing so well, focusing on making work that he rated, that he enjoyed, and he was following his own blueprint, and he smashed it. Then this label came along with all these expectations and added pressure. They wanted him frozen in that moment, and it wasn't authentic. Now, in my situation, with all those kids, I mean, they've been lovely and all most of the time, but they were still railroading me. They were still trying to make me do something I didn't want to do. And maybe I don't want to write something just for them. Maybe that's part of what's got me so stuck. What Michael found was that leaving that label and that pressure and channeling into his past, his own experiences and nostalgia, exploring his own blueprint, that's what got him writing again. Perhaps it could work for me. Over the past few weeks, I've been spending most of my spare time watching old TV shows and movies. My first response to this pandemic has been to surround myself with the characters and the stories of my childhood. What if I took some of these characters and channeled them somehow into a track? Not the heroes, not the guys at everybody's beck and call, squeezing into spandex to try to please others, not the, not the guys that those kids on my live lessons love so much but the villains instead. The guys who don't give a toss what a label or a group of kids online want them to do. So that's what I did. I wrote a track packed with all the baddies I could think of, from the TV shows, films, and computer games of my childhood. I dived into old DVDs and computer games. I shut all the demands of the world out for a fortnight. At first, I tried writing from five different perspectives, and, and then I thought, well, can I go further? How many baddies could I reference? couple of weeks and I was done. This mad track, definitely not suitable for kids. At one point I'd say burning vagina. I'll play out on the track. See what you guys think. It's designed to go with a video that I'm also posting online. Oh, and why not have a go yourself? Throughout this series, I'm going to be casting out for work from you guys. I'm hoping that this time around, we'll be able to get through and create things together. Why not think about something from your own childhood that gave you joy? Try writing four, eight or 16 bars about it, even if it's something you'd never normally expect to hear about in a rap song. Write something with references only you would understand. Try and work out your own blueprint. Any pieces you complete that are emailed to mark at markgrist.com, I'll be sure to listen to. The best pieces will feature in the final episode of the series. Anyway. Here's me rapping about 150 baddies from TV, film, uh, okay. and computer games. Uh, Huge thanks to Michael. 150 baddies. Let's go. Bringing tyrants to the mic on my drive-by scavenger business King of the swingers nabbing your Christmas Cooking up perfection, I'm killing web slingers with a snap of my fingers I'm bad, your dad burning inside Get your head into the gutter, there's a curb you can bite Stern with my guidance, twirling my trident All the guides use a burning vagina Turn for the viper, the perfect designer Turn you to pyros, keeping up behind you I returned another version like you Don't want to compromise, I want to burst from inside you Increasing the dosage, no need for 
for her nose When I sneeze, people scream like I was stoned in the queen Just a kid on my throne, but you'll be thinking I'm Odin Watch me go in, read poems, oh my ghost ship You voted for a carnivore, I just want to party more Bowl on past the horde, pile you all until these sinners have repented I get my hands dirty, but these scissors were expensive Head splits, reading your messages, eating your best bits Sweep on that leg, kid, let's invest in soap Your head can throw, undressing foes in Espanol Both yes and no, when I'm letting go Unfettered flow, it's a breath control, so won't No joke, swiping your mojo, your bicycle's home Bro, here's me opening solo Love to your mother as I chuck my flag And better run for cover, I just stuck your dragon on Next time on Mark Can't Rap. Uh, perhaps you could sort of take it on the chin, take it all in one in one go. Could I somehow gain hope? Actual hope. Peace, Mark. This is Charlie Tuna live and direct. Hey, what up, Mark? It's uh, Lupe Fiasco here. Just the great ghost Dini right here. Killer bees on a swarm. I'm totally fucked. This episode of Mark Can't Rap was written and narrated by me, Mark Grist. It featured an interview with Michael Payne and script and audio editing from Ross Sutherland. This podcast was supported using public funding from Arts Council England. Thanks for listening.